Okidoki. The training world is full of technical editing courses that don't teach the high-end creativity that viewers expect. Inside the Edit was created specifically to teach you every single creative skill you'll ever need to mesmerize your audience. And we are back. Hello, dear friends. Welcome back to the official podcast of Inside the Edit, Once Upon a Timeline the podcast dedicated to helping you become a powerful, creative editor. We've got another cracking show for you this week, which I'm really excited to share with you, the concluding part of award-winning documentary director Sume Oram's interview. And let me tell you, it's another fascinating dive into how a high-end director thinks about storytelling in the edit suite, as well as the creative relationship with the editor. It's a goldmine of filmmaking information. Our first ever director on the show, Sume, talks through her filmmaking process in tremendous detail and gives some key insights into the current state of the industry right now. We're very lucky to have her on the show, and I know you're going to love what she's got to say. But before that, let me catch you up on all our news at Inside the Edit. Yes, it has arrived. Our once-a-year Black Friday sale is now live. If you're committed to becoming the very best editor you can be, then you can buy the world's most in-depth creative editing course right now for a massive 50% discount. Just go on over to insidetheedit.com, purchase any subscription to our course, and use the promo code BF22. That's BF22 at checkout. This is the only sale we do all year, and it lasts until Monday the 28th of November at midnight. Now, we can learn an enormous amount about editing from listening to editors, but we can also learn an enormous amount from listening to the creative people we work with every single day, the people who employ us, directors. We all know that the way we work with directors is essential to our career success, but how does that actually work? What are the specific character traits that we need to develop? And what are the creative skills that directors are looking for when choosing who is going to cut their films? We're going to get answers to all of these questions and more direct from the source this week with the return of award-winning documentary director Sume Oram. Sume gives us a masterclass of collaborative insight from the other side of the edit suite in the concluding part of her guest appearance on Once Upon a Timeline. Okay, let's get comfortable for part two of The Director's Perspective with documentary director Sume Oran.
I'm always flabbergasted by what directors have to go through. It's a real privilege to sit there and being asked to cut and know that, you know, you're probably coming in here and you're like exhausted. You're not satisfied with a lot of stuff and creating a nurturing environment, I think, for, for directors. is just it's just fundamental. It's one of our sort of skills, I think, that no one really talks about a lot. Yeah, no, I think, like I said, I think editors have, I feel like I hear a lot less people saying why didn't you get this why didn't you get that mm. you know i feel like there is an understanding of how difficult things are or maybe it's just because you know i'm i'm working on higher end productions so i have more support and time and planning time you know mm. and then i work with greater editors so i think that helps a lot i think it's it's when the budgets are low and it's not for any problems you know sometimes you know i've worked on on all sorts you know with low budgets and then to higher budgets you know you have to work within your means and i think you have to understand this film is going to be made on 200 grand, 150 grand, you know, or 80 grand or, you know, 600, you know. And I think that's, you know, there is, there are limits, aren't they, to what mm. people can achieve on different budgets. Yeah, but I think, absolutely. you know, I think even I, when I was in working in edit directing, I'm not going to start complaining about, you know, what isn't that. That's just not very useful, is it? Yeah, you know, obviously yeah. there's a pickup shoot. Yeah, let's get it. But if it's gone, let's just focus on what we can do with this material. And I think that's the mind frame now, isn't it? And there are always pickups, so you can always find stuff. But I think, you know, I understand what it's like being a direct on set. So it's, it's you know, it's not my place to... I don't know what they went through to get certain things or how mm. difficult access was or, you know, there's a classic thing like I remember filming this, um, I don't know, just a GV, you know, and I know it would look so much better if I could walk back, you know, 15 meters. But, you know, behind me, there's like a cliff or something, you know, and I, I remember like <laughs> filming the GV and then just going, editor, look, there's a cliff. I can't get further back, you know, and then bring it around. Because so many times I want to say, I can't get this shot because of, look, of the surroundings or the reasons, you know. She said the old, there was a cliff there joke. Yeah, she's, <laughs> n none of the editors believe that. So you have to actually film it. No, there was a cliff there. <laughs> That's why I filmed it, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. And that's, that's kind of brought up an interesting question around, you know, this role, which is, it's not really new, but it's quite new as in like 10 15 years old isn't it of, of edit producer edit director what's your kind of thoughts on that because you know just just talk us through why that's different from from a normal director so normally I would only go into the edit with my film or a film I've been working on but sometimes you do have breaks and it is fun and actually it was a change um so I was edit director on the Formula One Drive to Survive series and that was brilliant. It was really great. Got to meet some great editors. And I think a lot of times it's because schedules. Mm. So a director who has the relationship, they might need to stay on the ground and film and continue filming rather than swapping with a new director so that they can go into the edit. And so I think a lot of times it's more to do with schedules. Right. Because I think everyone thinks it's probably beneficial for the director to go into the edit. They know their material. They know why they shot stuff. It is useful. There mm. are a lot of directors who still haven't been able to get a lot of experience in the edit. So there's mm. like producer directors that for some reason aren't getting into the edit. And maybe because they're amazing shooters or maybe they don't want to go into the edit. They don't like the edit. So I think, I think that's also a reason why there's edit producers. Sometimes a director might be brilliant at shooting, but 
not good at writing commentary. So right. they get an edit producer who's good at writing commentary. So I think that's the difference. Sometimes a film needs better writing and they're not sure whether the director's a good writer. Mm. So I think I think each production is, is varied, but a lot of it has to do with schedules. Have you ever directed and then not edited, like giving your footage to another edit director? Yeah, so when I was... Um, a DV director, you know, I would shoot and it would go into the edit. And then also I directed on a series called Vendetta, which is um, an Italian series about uh, the anti-mafia and the media trial. And I didn't go into the edit because we were also filming Mm. whilst the edits were ongoing and that was quite nice as well actually like because there was a there was a big team of us on that series so it wasn't like my film it was like a massive team and they'd been working on it for three years and I was I came in for six months and actually it was it was nice because I got to do something really special in Italy for six months and then in a way didn't have the stress of an edit because edits are actually they can be very very difficult oh yeah <laughs> you know when I worked somewhere, they said, you know, they'd send you to like war zones and then they'd come back. But the hell starts in the edit. They're tough. They're really <laughs> tough edits. <laughs> I like that. That's good. So let's talk through that. At what point? I know you sort of alluded to this earlier on about, about when an editor comes in. But at what point are you bringing an editor in if you've worked with them before or if you've chosen them? Is it just day one, here's the footage or stuff like that? Or are you ringing them up beforehand? How does that work? But obviously, you, you tend to meet them before you start. You know, So you've booked them three months. You tell them about the story and you get their ideas and they might have great ideas. But sometimes they're so busy on their other film mm. that they don't really have time to engage in the detail of your film. You know, mm. at that point, you know, they're, they're like probably at their rough cut or fine cut stage when you're about to go filming. So I think it would be great. But I, if I'm honest, so far, it hasn't really been like that because you might have one or two, three conversations. But that is something I'd like to do more on my next film is try to get them involved earlier and discuss story, uh, visuals and things we can shoot. And, you mm. know, I love that on film sets, the editor's usually there, you know, to make sure things, mm. they have things, they've got things, and they're there to input. And I think the more input early on from an editor would be brilliant. And it is mainly because they are so incredibly busy. It's like when I'm being trying to get, you know, have an interview for another film whilst I'm in my current film. I find it very difficult to like, you know, I'd have to spend a day to creatively engage, to come up with ideas, to really think it through, to research. And I don't always have that. So sometimes I feel like I'm doing these interviews for another project. And I'm not giving it everything because I haven't had time to think yeah. it through. So I do want to get editors more involved early. That would yeah. be great. And I would like to know if editors would like, I, I imagine they would like to be involved early. I don't know. I imagine so, but like, yeah, I don't think they have time. I think there's maybe there's a monetary factor as well, isn't there? Traditionally, there's like, you know, uh, some broadcasters and, and production companies, they don't want to pay for that kind of thought, heavy thought process before in non-scripted. I think in drama, it's different, isn't it? As you say. Yeah. But I know like editors, a lot of editors back in the old days, the editor would sit in the mix and the grade and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's actually, I, f I find it was, it was certainly when I, when I was, you know, you know heavy into the doc world that was petering out a lot my editor on on this project sat in the grade the mix the online really okay yeah for episode one um right so he was there which was brilliant because obviously their feedback is vital mm. and for episode three you know he's on holiday so he won't be able to come in but i'm hoping that for all the films in the future they can come in but also again they'll be working on something else you know 
come in and feed back on a mix. Yeah. Even if they were to get paid for that day, they're taking time out of their other project, you know, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Depends who they're working with and what stage they are. But I think, you know, it would be amazing. I mean, it was amazing to have, you know, my editor and Ep1, the mix and everything. Because they hear all the details, you know, they've, they've worked so hard to mix their sound mm. perfectly and all the effects. And when it dips in, you know, dips out or when, you know, everything, you know, they've done to perfection. And mm. sometimes it gets lost or sometimes it gets accentuated in the mix and they might not like it. So I'd always have them there. Yeah, it's like, oh, you put that dissolve on the end of that piece of sync is too long so the next word's coming in so I put a four frame dissolve and you've put in an eight and so it doesn't sound great because another word's starting or some little detail like that isn't it yeah exactly so there's always details that get missed or lost not on purpose but they just do right in the mix or yeah. and and it's vital to have someone else there I was you know helping the mix for episode two um, but the edit producer was there and he will pick up on stuff that I might not notice because he's been listening to it, you know, day in, mm. day out. And yeah. so it's really important that director, edit, producer, or someone who's been day-to-day -day in that edit be at the mix. Well, I mean, let's, let's move on to the big question then. Uh, you know, this is something I'd love to hear your thoughts on. What are you looking for in an editor? Is it, is it a number of things? Is it one big thing? What stands out? You know, for our listeners, you know, it'd be great to know what you guys are thinking and what you guys are looking at when you're assessing the probability of, you know, I might want to work with this person. I think it's um, a lot is down to kind of attitude and enthusiasm. Like I'm finding that, that the people that I want to work with are enthusiastic you know they're interested they're curious you know you obviously want an editor with a strong opinion you don't want them to just agree with you I mean you know most of edits have discussions a lot you know you always argue there's times where you argue more or less but that's good you know it's good mm. to argue it's good for them to put forward a new structure a new idea and because you know directors do get a bit stuck in their own structure you know you do need it's like when you get notes you do need to try out the notes you know, mm. and to see if they work or not, you know. Um, you know, obviously, flair is a difficult thing, isn't it? Like, you either have it for certain things or don't have it. You might have flair at music videos. You might be amazing at cutting montages. You might be amazing at bringing out emotion or working with music. Every editor has their kind of speciality, and some of them have everything, you know? So it's mm. kind of working. But I think the, the biggest thing is collaboration, you know, fun people to be with, because you do sit in a room for months, you know, I think it's that kind of enthusiasm. So like you want to be with positive people, you know, you don't want someone who's complaining, you know, the whole time. And, you know, and so I think it's about trying to find the positives in the material, trying to find the good things that can come out of it. And, you know, I think I'm trying to bring together teams that collaborate, you know, in this edit, we, you know, we, op I try to open up the edit. So ep two, we'll watch ep one, we'll have a discussion, you know, if notes come in, I'll send them to the edit producer. Mm. So we can all like discuss, collaborate, and it doesn't become competitive, you know, Yeah. and go out for lunch and do things. And it's nice to be back in the edit suite. And luckily, my editor likes to be in the edit. Because some I know some editors love being at home, which I totally understand too, you know, they can work hybrid so i think that's great i think hybrid working is is perfect yeah what's your thoughts on that yeah like because it's a very current issue what how do you do you feel something's lost or gained in that in that kind of situation i i couldn't work full-time remotely with an editor 
If so, if an editor told me he could only do remote, I'd, I couldn't right. do it. Really? Yeah, I, I would probably not be able to work with them because, you know, when an editor's cutting a scene, you know, if I'm sitting there or in the background somewhere, I'm listening, I'm seeing the stuff they're cutting out, cutting in, and it's all going into my brain, right? And so at mm. some point I might go, when we have to recut that scene, when someone says, oh, did they say, you know, it's all there. I know they said it. I know the expression because I've been like watching, mm. you know, and taking it in. If it's remote, they'll just cut that scene and I'll see the final product, but I won't have had any much input in the process. You know, yeah. I, might, I might do a sync pull if it's an involved scene. I mean, the way, the way I've done it with some editors is that we watch stuff together. So we'll watch, we'll watch, you know, three hours together of an actuality scene and then we'll talk about it. I like this, I yeah. like this, this is how we should play it. This is the meaning of this scene. And then I'll, I'll let them be and do their thing. And then we'll watch it again and be like, oh, you know, at least we've watched it together. Because when you watch something together, I might laugh, they might laugh. We might just say, oh, that's great. Look at his expression. And you lose that from mm -hmm. the remote edit. And obviously, if it's like a retrospective interview, an archive, fine. You know, you can just about manage that. But if it's actuality, I really feel like you should watch stuff together and chat about things. And it's also quite lengthy. Like, they'll put a music on and they'll have to send it, to, not send it to you, but you can just log in, right? And you'll be like, mm. no. When, when they were playing the track, I would have gone, ah, I don't think that works. Or should we try something else? Before they've cut the whole thing to that track, you know? Yeah, they've actually gone and really shaped one version of a sequence. So you're out of, you've been left out of the loop of probably 20, 30, 40, 50 different creative decisions. Yeah, so I think um, for some projects, remote could work. But in general, it wouldn't be my choice. But I do understand mm. editors that have found a new freedom and a better balance in their life by working from home. And I totally respect that that's interesting because you touched on some really fascinating subjects there around this collaboration you know you you like getting in there from the moment go since like since you're you know before you even stuff you're putting stuff down on the timeline so is that you love being part of that whole process yeah because like some some directors are like oh i remember coming in especially in my early days going here's the footage call me in a week <laughs> I like to be involved in the edit, but you know, in any edit I'm in, I'm always like, have to go shoot something for a week or have to, you know, have a holiday and they have a holiday. And I think it's important to give them breaks. The last thing they need is, you know, you sitting there the whole time mm. and, you know, maybe leave early, come in later. Because I think a lot of what editors do best is when they are by themselves and they can just work on a sequence and just do their own thing and try their own thing so I'd like to think that I give them space or they should just ask for space and and not be there a lot and also once you've discussed a scene what you think you just let them be and then you come back in two days and you're doing other things you're writing emails finding stuff for the next scene I try to be ahead, right? So I try to be like three, four days ahead of them. My last editor was so quick that he caught up with me <laughs> within like two weeks. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> he's like so fast. I'm like, you know, so I had to like work the weekend just to be a bit ahead. And by ahead, I mean, you know, doing a paper edit or sync pulling. And I know editors hate the idea of a paper edit, but it's only a paper edit when you have done the interviews, when you know the material. So it's not just looking at sync without knowing the material, you know. So if I'm, an, if I'm an, in an edit and I haven't shot the material, I will watch the material and then do a paper edit. I won't just look at the transcript. But I always, I always say t to the editor, like, just sit and watch footage for like three days. You know, and, and they, I think editors always feel like they need to be like producing or something. But I think, you know, if they can watch the whole main interview, 
it just that saves you like ages because they, they it's in their head if they watch the whole main interview or the interviews even if it takes two three days I think that's the best thing to do watch the interviews watch the material and I had an editor once and I think he spent the first 10 days watching all the material but then he knew everything and he mm. would be pulling and finding things and he'd get a sense of the place you know he'd watch all the gvs to get a sense of the place and he came up with some brilliant ideas you know just by watching the gvs and just by understanding what that country was about and mm. i think i think it's never time wasted watching an interview and watching gvs because you know if you just go to an interview and just get a sink pool know their expressions you don't know exactly what they said about everything else you know so i would i would suggest them to always sit and watch interviews even if it feels like they're on a deadline that's really nice to hear because i think any pro editor can tell you a story at some point where some directors not all of them but a small percentage of them are so keen on getting things going in straight away that they don't allow that and and actually yes you may gain some time at the start but you'll lose time as you say later on because they're not immersed. We're not immersed in it. That's that's. Yeah, they don't know the character. They just know the, you know, the 15 minutes you pulled from a five-hour interview, you know? Mm. And I know it's a lot to watch a five-hour, but it's, they could jump, you know, they could jump, but sometimes they watch with a transcript so they can also mark it up, you know? Or they yeah. can just like scan it and see, oh, okay, no, they're, they're just going to talk about nothing now. Move on. But I, I do think it's great to watch the material because otherwise they're too heavily reliant on, on the director, you know? That's very interesting, yeah. What's your kind of opinion on transcripts then, like pros and cons, and are you a believer in them? I think they're 100% necessary. Mm. I think transcripts are, well, especially as I do six-hour interviews, you know, they're really, <laughs> they're really long, and you can just go back to things. And I, I go through a transcript, and I will find all the bits they talk about a certain character, you know, and I'll pull it, and I'll put it in a way. And I'll, what I feel takes a lot of time in an edit on a timeline is ordering all the words to make sense from a timeline you know like a, mm. like a, like to talk about something complex so i tend to once we've watched the interview i might sync it like do a paper edit on it to get you know and then i bring it down i, I try and bring it down through a paper edit before putting it on the timeline mm. but some people like that don't like that yeah that's you kind of touched that on, uh, before i was going to pick you up on that which was really interesting you're like oh I know a lot of editors don't like paper edits. What explain that whole that whole thing? What what's what's that all about? I think sometimes when people do paper edits, you know, it might be more on the what's written on paper like like the words, you know, rather than the feeling or the way they've said it. But mm-hmm. I think paper edits work if you've watched the material and you've marked up stuff that's good visually and in an intonation and then you can do a paper edit but if I'm just grabbing a trans unless you know it's really factual you know about I don't know you know something that doesn't require a lot of emotion or behavior yeah, yeah. yeah but I think I think for example in a in an actuality scene it's good to have a transcript because that actuality scene might be three hours and you'll watch it you might watch it once and you'll pull stuff but inevitably someone will say let's make that scene about this and you're like, oh, gosh, do I have to watch this all again? How am I going to find all that stuff? So actually having a transcript. And now with AI doing transcripts, it's so quick, you know? Yeah. And then you can just find the line. Oh, this is where they find this. Rather than go back and try and find it in three, the three-hour stuff. So I, I think transcripts are very useful. Mm. And sometimes I'll transcribe it myself because then it's in my brain. Yeah, I mean, there's this, this, this thing like you're talking about, which is, which is really interesting. It's like the more it's in your brain the more you are 
you know, repeating this and, and being subjected to it. Yeah. How does that help you, would you say, for, for new editors? Because I think if you've watched the whole scene or it's in a transcript, so, you know, there'll be, let's say, a lawyer's meeting, you know, and you filmed it for three hours. Every scene can probably do two things, one or two things. They will say each scene is going to do one or two things. And then if you want it to do something, like we recently had a scene where it was all about the media portrayal of a character and we cut it mm. for that. And then someone said, oh, we don't want it about the media portrayal. We want it about defense strategy, you know? So then we went through this you know, 20-page transcript and we found the elements so we didn't have to watch it all again. Mm. And so, you know, because scenes can be reused or used for different things, you know, a lot. So transcripts will save you a lot of time in the end. And I know they're expensive mm. because you need transcribers, but they do save you time in the end, I think. But then I'm not mm. the um, the person with the money. <laughs> so you've talked a lot about this. Um, I really like what you were saying about, you know, the, the communication between you and the editor. You know, what stands out for you as, as good communication? What do you think the editor's role is in, 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 in that kind of articulation? I think I love to hear what the editor feels about the interviewee or interviewer. That's why them having a whole like a whole approach and listening to the character the whole thing mm. is useful because then they're not relying on my opinion of them they have their own opinion and i think editors you're always looking for ideas for new ways of structure i think editors think of structurally different i think they they have obviously a more refined way of telling stories they understand what's important in a scene and i think um you know i think the most useful is when I think they should just speak out their voice, you know, and no one's always hoping for agreement, right? So you mm. do want to be challenged, even if you might not agree. <laughs> you do. It's good, right? It's good to hear different points of views. And um, it's just how to put them across. And I think, you know, if you think when's your best ideas, your best ideas are probably when you're walking, you know, your best ideas are probably when you're like sitting on a bus and thinking about something or watching another film and thinking, oh, they did that well, you know, it's quite rare that you sit there and you have this brilliant idea. It's usually when you've gone for a walk together or sitting at lunch, you know. You know, I worked on um, Liberty of London, you know, the, the store. I was worked behind the scenes and my, one of my characters was the, the creative person of the windows and everything. And often, you know, I'd film her going to art galleries with her team just to look at art and just to look at things. And she said, this is where ideas come from, you know, not sitting at work. So I think um, to realize that that's where ideas come from is important. You know, you'll think about like these days in a lot of the video on demand series, we have this, this gift of the cold open right which is the the opening of a film which doesn't necessarily have to relate to what's immediately coming next it's like a tease but it could be it's your creative moment you know you can do anything and that's really fun whilst before it used to be pre-titles you know where it was like a montage mm. of coming up but now the cold open is great it's like you know breaking bad had the cold opens there'd be a scene of like something in the pool i didn't remember what it was like a teddy bear in the pool and you'd only find out what that meant like three episodes later and in docs, you know, they are doing cold opens, which is really fun. And that's really creative. And that's kind of the fun. Because then, then after that, you've got to tell the story, you know, keep everything kind of to a, a narrative. And I, I feel like it's so nice when documentaries can be more creative. And, you know, obviously those are fewer, right? Those are the ones that make it to Sundance you know, mm. or to make it to the festivals because they had the courage to be very different, but very different from the beginning, not just in the editing, just like from the concept, mm. you know, like truffle hunters, 
the mole agent i don't know if you've seen those those are really interesting films i haven't seen them actually but now yeah i guess that's what we'll recommend for to all the listeners who haven't already seen them they're just different docs you know they're, they're different like the truffle hunters you know they decide they, they would do one wide shot of like dad and son at a restaurant and they'll just stay on that wide shot for like three minutes and they'll just take what conversation was had obviously it must have been produced in some way but they just stick on the wide shot there's no like and I you know I really admire those that just keep to a, a style you know it was really mm. cool you should see it I mean I, I remember being in certain viewings with execs and broadcasters and you know if, if a wide shot's going on for longer than like 10 seconds or something like that like what, 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 what what's going on here come on cup show me something especially in like actuality based stuff as well there seems to be an urgency in broadcast that's not kind of there in in terms of pacing and stuff like that or you know kind of laws visual grammar laws that's not there in um in say cinema docs and stuff yeah that's why i mean i think a lot of the um not mainstream but the mainstream docs they do work with algorithms so they do know that if you haven't got them by three minutes people are switching off so Mm. There is some basis to their strategy, you know, that the first yeah. three minutes have to bring you in. But then the art, you know, the Artie Docs, they have, they are allowed more time and you might not necessarily spend, you know, the, the average viewer might not spend too long watching that first scene of that wide shot, you know, for too yeah. long. So I suppose now that there's a lot more um, data on programs, we need to yeah. really accept, even though we all want our film to be 50, 60 minutes or longer, when someone's telling you, guys, the Optimum is under 40 now, under 40 minutes, you know, I don't like it, but I think that's where the data is. That's what they're saying, that people are watching those films. They feel they've done the research and they feel they say people are more interested in watching three times 35 minutes than three times 50. Mm. Then you want more people to watch your, your series. So we fight this, but actually... You know, everything's shorter now, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's, I've absolutely. heard of commissions, you know, for docs or crime that's, you know, four times 30 minutes, you know, but that, that just means that they'll just watch it all in one go. So you're essentially making two one hours, but it's just, it's just perception again, isn't it? If you turn the packaging. on... Packaging. Yeah, if you turn on your thing and there's, ah, oh, 30 minutes, I can fit in a 30 minute, but then you're still sitting there for two hours because it's good, you know? We keep developing, don't we? And then it'll go back to 90 minutes and then it'll go back to... I hope it doesn't get under 20 minutes, though. That'll be... That'll be... This is like a montage. A documentary montage. Exactly. Short films. I always remember, like, someone telling me, God, when I was really, really young, they were like, half an hour is the reason that most game shows are half an hour. Yeah, that, that half an hour sweet spot is like, that's why game shows and comedies and all that kind of stuff. So... That's really interesting about the whole kind of doc moving into that. Um, and as you say, it'll probably go in cycles, won't it? Yeah, it's like when I first watched the first series of Drive to Survive. I think they were all about 30 minutes. And it just, the first episode, you know, everything went by so quickly. And you'd get mm. this impression, wow, that was brilliant. It's already finished. And then you'd continue. And, you know, there is, there is something to say about finishing an episode and thinking, wow, that was quick. Because that makes you feel like you've enjoyed it. It's gone by. They've kept you there. Mm. You know, mm. so I think I think I have to try and stop, you know, fighting the what? I'm trying to get my commissioner recently to give me more than uh, 48 minutes, you know, like I was fighting for every minute. But, you know, actually, it probably has turned out better that the films are shorter. Mm. But, you know, every filmmaker feels like they've got a feature doc in their, in their episode. This one's definitely a feature doc. I think I've, <laughs> I think I've probably thought that many times, you know. 
I'm sure I hope that many people have as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, we touched on some other stuff early on, actually, which was really interesting. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. What's your thoughts on the editor's role with music and the editor's role with voiceover? Do you like collaboration with them writing the voiceover or is it just you or is it best idea wins? What, what's that kind of thing? And uh, so the music and the voiceover is, is always something I'm fascinated with in docs. I've always found that the editors I've worked with, they're much better at, obviously like they'll choose the music and I'll have a say, but they, I let them take on the lead with the music because right. editors usually tend to be great with music. They have um, very particular taste. They know all the libraries. They've got their tracks in, you know, mm. they've saved loads of tracks they like and they will um, they will suggest things. Um, in terms of how I can help with music, so I will um, write to music supervisors and say, we're looking for this. This is our style. We like these types of tracks. Can you send me more? Just so mm. we can provide a bigger library for them to work for. But obviously, a lot of times I've been working with composers and that's been brilliant. And usually the composers give us quite a few tracks to start with, maybe from their back catalogue, we use that. And then, th mm. then they will then work towards that. But in general, I find that I let the editors take the lead with music and I just suggest when I don't think it's right or not. But, but they've been all been mm. so into music that it seems that they should take that lead. And I'm perfectly happy with that. So is it like a discussion on tonality and, and stuff like that? Yeah, so usually we have the discussion with the, ed with the composer. The p composer will come in, we show him a few of our scenes, give yeah. him an overview of the story, and the composer will go away and, and send back some tracks and then we'll feed back and we'll talk together. I'll talk with the editor, what he thinks, what we liked. And, you know, we like the same things and where that could work. And then we'll more feedback to him, to the composer. So it's kind of this back and forth, but I think it's about giving the composer a bigger feel about the moments in your film. So it's not just what the film is about, you know, it's about right. like we have a lot of investigative moments, you know, we have a lot of moments where we need pace, you know, mm. or a lot of moments where it's just like drone because it's quite complex, you know, the story's complex, so we don't need too much over it you know but our composer on this series we felt he got the vibe before you know he just got it his music was amazing so you know it's, a, it's again that thing is when you work on on bigger films or with bet, bigger budgets you get amazing composers and then you know life is easier in a way mm. i mean mm. i think when you're you know coming up life is a bit more difficult you know in terms of budgets and things but you learn quickly but i feel like um working with better people means that there's less of like a blame game, for example. I felt like when I was early starting, there's always someone wanted to blame someone for something. But now I feel like really? we, all, we right. all understand that there's, that's not very helpful. What's, I think it's always about, like I always ask, what's the solution, you know? How, we, mm. how can we find a solution and try and take ownership when we make our own mistakes, you know? Mm. And then in terms of voiceover, I'm not working very much with Com these days. But when I did, I'm always happy to have help from the editor because I don't think I was very good at that. Right. At, so I'm very happy the industry has gone towards like no com because I prefer it. But I, I always help ask, you know, if the editor wants help. Some editors love writing, right? Some And they write and some don't. And then sometimes the editors will voice it themselves or I'll voice it depending if it should be male or female or male, yeah. you know, depending on, you know, if the editor's female, you know, we, or who prefers doing it. And I, I, I used to like doing voiceover, but, 
it's quite tiring having to rewrite, rewrite, and then, you know, and then people writing. You know, obviously there's, there's great com and there's less great com, you know, the ones that tell you what's going to happen before it happens. And I just can't take that anymore, you know. Mm. I can't, um, or, and then he met this, and then, you know, I just I can't. So, but I'm always willing for anyone, whoever's better in the room at that particular job, should be the one to, to help. If the editor's better at the music, he should take on the music. I don't need to, I don't feel like I need to be part of every, every element. I feel like whoever's the better person to do it should do it in a way. But obviously the editor's not going to sit and write, write com, but I might sit there and write it. And what do you think of this? And, and they'll say, oh, it's not very good. Or what about this word? And then, you know, but yeah. But that's probably why I don't work on stuff with com that much anymore. Fantastic. Well, listen, Sumay, it's been an, an enlightening chat. Final question. What advice would you give to young editors or editors coming into the industry? You know, what would your what would be your your one or two or three, whatever you think would be the thing that they need to focus on or remember or concentrate on? I think the best is if you can find an editor that can take you on as an assistant editor who will help you grow, who will give you scenes to cut, who will show you how to do things. I think that would be amazing. I think there's lots of editors out there that might need an assistant editor, might want help. It might be that you, you know, you might work for a bit less certain points, but then have to work in the evening somewhere else. You know, I, when I was a runner, I worked in a bar in the evenings, you know, like, hmm. but I think, I think it's enthusiasm. You know, I've had, um, I've recently had an, an edit assistant in our room with us. So we had an editor and edit assistant. She's always there before us. Um, she's always like ready to do a sequence, an assembly, is always excited and does a good job and asks us questions. I mean, she's been amazing to be in the room with us. And I think it's all about enthusiasm, willing to do the small jobs, but then show people that you can do a sequence or be interested in the story. You know, if you have some downtime, watch the rushes. Tell the director what you mm. loved about the rushes or what you thought about the character, what you thought about a scene. And if you have downtime, why not try, ask them, can I, can I cut this scene? Like, what scene are you going to next? Can I give it a go? You don't have to use it. Maybe in your own time and, and slowly, slowly you'll be cutting things. And obviously do your own projects, edit wedding videos. You know, everything's useful, I think, mm. coming up. But don't wait for opportunities. Like, request opportunities. Can I cut this? Can I do this? Can I do the sink pool for you? Can I suggest? Because sometimes the director doesn't have, doesn't have stuff and there'll be times where you won't be that busy. And so it's like, instead of waiting for them to ask you, just say, I'll do it, you know. Mm. Request, request opportunities or just ask. Or try and get onto, think of, think of um, shows where there's actuality, where there's scenes to cut. Okay, so interview-led films aren't going to be that useful unless there's loads of archive but if there's an actuality scene with loads of rushes you know things mm. that's where you'll be more useful i think mm. depends what you want to do as an assistant editor you know if it's docs i'd say i'd say that you know there's lots of training schemes out there very wise words very inspiring words sume thank you so much thank for coming you. on once upon a timeline you've got such a great outlook a fascinating outlook on directing and how you integrate editors into your kind of creative sphere and I think the only problem you're gonna have now is 
all the editors listening to this will want to come and work with you. <laughs> I, I hope the editors that I've worked with will think that that is, you know, that's truthful, I think. I don't know. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. So can you tell us what you're working on at the moment? Or is it all hush-hush? I'm series directing a four-part series about a Brazilian story. And yeah, it's for one of the streamers. But I can't say much because it's a trial, it's under secrecy, and it might only end next year well as soon as it goes live i'm sure you'll let us know and we will point everyone in that direction thank you so much it's really good to speak to you very best of luck with the rest of the series and um, i hope you'll come back at some point and tell us all about it when it's once it's uh, all done and wrapped yeah for sure fantastic you take care okay thank you What a fantastic talk by a director at the top of their game. Having that kind of insight into the director's mind is absolutely essential if we want to craft a successful career in editing, no matter what the genre really. And it was really interesting to hear how Sume creates her unique partnership with the editors she works with. So much happens while building our career that no one tells us about beforehand. There are no warnings to sidestep this problem or that problem. No one gives us the answers to the thousand little questions throughout every stage of our career that we have. But a very large part of being successful in our industry is about having that positive and inquisitive aura about us that Sume articulates so beautifully. When it works with a director, it is the most amazing creative feeling we can have, so it's worth fighting for. I hope you enjoyed Sume's guest appearance on the show and we wish her the very best of luck with her new series. Don't forget, dear friends, our Black Friday sale is now on. the only one we do all year round. You can get the world's leading creative editing course at half price from right now until midnight on Monday. That's Monday the 28th of November. Come and join thousands of filmmakers, production companies, broadcasters, news outlets and media brands across the world who've used the Inside the Edit course. Simply use the promo code BF22 at checkout right now over at InsideTheEdit.com and you'll get 50% off any of our memberships. As usual, a massive shout out to our good friends over at Universal Production Music who supply every single track for the show. If you're looking for music right now for the projects you're cutting, go over and check out their site. They have over half a million tracks in every conceivable genre, tone, tempo, and mood. Or if you like any of the tracks on this or any other episode of our podcast, just go on over to InsideTheEdit.com and check out this episode's page for links to every single track so you can license. Helping us grow our creative community is really appreciated, so please don't forget to tag us on social and share this podcast with your filmmaking friends if you like what you hear. 
But if you have 30 seconds to spare, an honest rate and review on Apple Podcasts is also really appreciated, dear friends. Thank you so much for being part of the Inside the Edit community. Have a great week wherever you are, and I will see you very soon on another episode of Once Upon a Timeline. Stay cool, stay safe, and stay cutting.